How do we know that we belong to God? How is it that we've been saved? And what level of assurance of our future salvation can we have? What's the difference between those elected by God for salvation and those marked for destruction? I'm not sure all of these questions are fully answered here at the beginning of 1 Peter, but I do think 1 Peter addresses them at least in an introductory way. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn with me to the New Testament book of 1 Peter. I'm going to begin reading this morning from 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, and I'm reading from the New International Version. The scripture says this, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. In our last discussion, we explored Peter's confession to the elect ones who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Today we're going to explore the second phrase that Peter has used to qualify the concept of God's election, and it's this, to the elect ones who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. The expansion of God's election from the people of Israel to all nations of the earth was not only foreknown, but the implication, it seems to me, is that it was foreordained by God long before he acted to choose Abraham. Peter ascribes that election and foreordination to God the Father. But by what means was this election to occur? Would people be created from birth with an impulse to follow God out of all the nations on earth? Would God select people through divine decree whom he deemed especially worthy out of all the nations of the earth based on some criterion or criteria known only to God himself? It seems that Peter has insisted that the election of all nations, which was according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, was being, and I suppose is being, accomplished by the sanctifying work of the Spirit. These Christians throughout Asia Minor to to whom Peter was writing were being set apart from the nations and called out of their societies and their families, and they could be assured that it was more than a whim or a persuasive presentation or a bit of sophistry that had brought them out and exposed them to ridicule. It was the very Spirit of God sanctifying them, setting them apart. Now, how the gospel came to these specific churches is lost to history. The New Testament doesn't recall the churches to whom Peter was writing as having begun through the ministries of Paul or Peter or any of the other apostles of Jesus. So we don't know how the gospel came to them. But Peter seemed certain that whoever the messenger, whatever manner of vessel that God used to reach them, God's election of them was being accomplished by the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit of God. The original Greek word translated sanctifying in this phrase is interesting. It is related to the Greek words for holy and for holiness or sanctification, but it is a distinct word. It's the word hagiosmos. And it's a word, whenever it's been used in the New Testament, that connotes actively separating, actively consecrating, or actively setting apart and it almost always references the atoning work of Jesus. These Christians, who had forsaken their culture, their families, their values, and their former lifestyles, in order to embrace the gospel of Jesus with all their lives, were being marked out by the Holy Spirit, who was separating them out of the mass of humanity and reconciling them to God through the atoning work of Jesus. 
The gospel of Jesus has never come to any culture or person in the last nearly 2,000 years simply as words on a page, or simply as a set of teachings presented to us for critical objective evaluation. Peter has insisted that the very Spirit of God is the one sanctifying those who are encountered by the gospel of Jesus. There is a reason that it can feel so affirming to reject the gospel, as we see quite a bit in our culture today. Some tell themselves that they have this feeling of affirmation when they reject it, because Christianity has been so dominant for so long, so corrupt for so long, so hypocritical for so long, so oppressive for so long, that it always feels good to see the mighty fall. Others blame Christianity for all the woes of society, all the wars of Europe, all the excesses of the developed world and all that, and they explain their glee in terms of the liberation of humanity from the tyranny and excess of religion. But I suspect that there's a deeper reason for the powerful emotions, both, both positive and negative, that the Christian gospel elicits in those who are encountered by it. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. What some people experience as conviction or wooing or calling, and others experience as infuriating or frustrating or agitating, is not a what at all. He is a who. I'm persuaded that it is the Holy Spirit of God, working to sanctify humanity through the atoning work of Jesus that is the source of these visceral responses. It's the Holy Spirit who makes the gospel dangerous. So long as the Spirit of God is in the world, this gospel will never be safe. The world is marking its elect ones, and God is marking his. The elect of the world embrace autonomy and license to live as they please within the limits of secular authority and the natural right to pursue life, liberty, and happiness with impunity. The elect of the world value human wisdom, human sagacity, and human potential as the foundations of all truth and knowledge. The elect of the world value nation and culture and family and friends as primary loyalties. The elect of the world value tolerance and uncertainty and doubt as the highest of human virtues. In the language of the New Testament book of Revelation, things of this sort are the mark of the beast. But the Spirit of God is marking the elect of God as well. The Spirit of God is at work sanctifying those who are embracing Jesus and therefore embracing their election of God in him. The elect of God value loyalty and faithfulness to God as he's revealed himself in Jesus our Messiah above all other loyalties. The elect of God love their enemies and pray for those who persecute them. The elect of God forgive those who harm them. The elect of God care for widows and orphans in their distress and they cling to God and his gospel as the means to remaining unstained, unmarked by the world. The elect of God have doubts and frustrations and questions and concerns, but they experience these things in faith, even because of their faith. The elect of God love the Lord their God with all their hearts and selves and strength, and they love their neighbors as themselves. This is the mark of the Spirit of God. The people to whom Peter was writing had left all they had known to follow Jesus, and they were being persecuted for that decision. I believe Peter wanted to assure them that they had not made that decision 
They had not left everything behind. They had not embraced their present suffering because of a human story or in response to a human argument. It was the God of all creation who had ordained long ago to send his gospel to them. And it was the very Spirit of God himself who had called them out, who had sanctified them through this message. And so Peter wrote to the elect ones, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. We too, when we are encountered by the gospel of Jesus, by the story of a God who graced humanity free will, who permitted humans to walk away from him and his love, who intervened by choosing the people of Israel to be his mouthpiece and the vessel through which he would reconcile humanity back to himself, who determined to become flesh in the person of Jesus, who agreed to live a human life, suffer at human hands, and die at a human's command, and who rose from the dead as a sign and promise that those who wish to forsake the roads on which they presently walk and follow Jesus will follow him out of the grave and into a world prepared for them for all eternity. When we are encountered by that story, the very Spirit of God accompanies it. Each of us may be angered by that story, or frustrated by it, or convicted when we experience it. We may feel drawn to the God it has described, or we may find it ludicrous and laughable. But I'm convinced none will find it impotent. This is not the greatest story ever told. It's the most dangerous story ever told. The gospel is a live wire. The gospel of God has instigated unimaginable acts of kindness and unprecedented acts of violence and evil. It's more than a story, more than a religion, and more than history. It's not safe, especially not for those who are sanctified by it. And the elect of God are those who embrace it. Each of us was born elect of this world, and each of us has been elected by God in Jesus. Whose mark will you take? Those to whom Peter was writing had received the mark of God, the sanctifying work of the Spirit, and Peter wrote to encourage them in their responsiveness, to the elect ones who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. May those who have ears to hear Listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Amen.